Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story, Inc. is Matt Romito, the executive producer of Cubs Productions. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're really excited here. I mean, I think we're going to touch on a lot of different uh, topics that are of interest to the content studio executives out there listening. But but I think, you know, starting with uh, the thesis of Brand Story, Inc., we, we really believe that organizations like yours that understand their, that are their media companies, they're going to win the long game. And Cubs certainly qualify. I, I was looking, I had your social media somewhere between 8 to 10 million social followers among so many different platforms. You've got Wrigley Field as a touch point, uh, relationships with media networks, including your own marquee, and of course, uh, a slew of relationships with brands and partners. So you've been there over six years now. Let's set the stage. Explain the content organization of the Chicago Cubs that you have, your team, and, and in general, how you as the Cubs organization view content creation. Yeah, absolutely. So the Cubs Productions team, um, which includes not only content production, but also game presentation, video board operation, uh, broadcast relations, and then what I would call creative services, um, you know, sits within our marketing function. Um, we are we also have a, a you know a really great social media team that uh, is not part of Cubs Productions, but is within that marketing team. So it allows for some really great collaboration because we all are aligned to the same goals and objectives within the marketing function. So you know I know not everybody is fortunate enough to have that, so that works really well for us. Um, within give, the Cubs Production, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, give us a sense of numbers. Like how when you say social media team, how how many folks ballpark? Yeah, absolutely. So they're they're a pretty small, nimble team. They've got three people. Um, you know, to, I guess, probably primarily dedicated to social media, you know, digital content. Um, and then one who is just kind of more uh, um, kind of overseeing content in general from you know that perspective. So it's, I'd say it's a, a three person team there. And then Cubs Productions, I think we're a team of maybe 10 or 11 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that includes, you know, a video board operations manager who, yes, he definitely contributes in a, in a great way to our content production team, but that's not his primary focus. He's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, working on making sure the video boards work, make sure that everything goes smoothly on game day. So, you know, it's probably a, a smaller team if you, you know, want to actually look at the creator. So the producers, the you know designers and, and graphics team, editors, videographers, things like that. It's probably closer to, uh, man, seven, eight, maybe at this point. Mm, very interesting. Now, it, it, it's obviously we're, we're taping this post-2020 uh, baseball season. So we're in the quote-unquote uh, you know, non-live action portion of the calendar. But give us the context on a big picture of the volume of content you're creating both in season, you know, on a typical day uh, and then out of season. Yeah, and it, I'm sure, you know, you would hear this from any sports team. It really varies a, a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we try to, you know, try to be opportunistic with, um, you know, games and, and various tentpole events that are going to be uh, coming up, whether they're scheduled um, or unscheduled, like award season, you never really know if you're going to have guys winning gold gloves mm-hmm. or in Cy Young race. Um, obviously, those are things we try to capitalize on. But um, I did pull a couple of numbers just to, to give you some context. So YouTube, which has been a big focus for us the last couple of years, um, you know, kind of did a quick count there, had about 120 videos posted. And those are, you know, not 
completely, um, you know, all of our higher end um, serialized content. It has a mix of, of different things, but that's probably a little bit better to get a sense of mm-hmm. some of the things that, that Cubs Productions is working on. Whereas if you look at maybe our Twitter account, it was closer to 500 videos, but that includes, you know, highlights from in games mm-hmm. or various things that we may be getting from MLB. So that's inclusive of, of sort of like everything we're doing. Um, but, you know, hopefully that gives a, a little idea of, you know, some days, and some games necessitate, uh, you know, quick turnaround, higher volume of content. But certainly, you know, I like to think that our bread and butter is becoming a little bit more of the, um, you know, purposeful, higher end, uh, often longer form content. It's interesting. Sports teams and leagues in general kind of be at the at the early uh, adopt, early edge of the adoption curve in terms of trends. And when it comes to content, I, I think that is clearly the case. I mean, from the outside looking in. I view your role in the Cubs in general as having a, a content studio function. You have a source of unparalleled access to the team. You have the ability to connect with Cubs fans through your own channels and assets. You have the ability to connect with local and national media entities, including you know Major League Baseball as the, as the umbrella organization. So how has the perspective of content as a business changed for the Cubs in recent years? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, and yeah, I, I'd like to think that, you know, we've kind of become this content studio and we have a lot of great uh, relationships at our disposal that you mentioned. Um, I think for a while we sort of discussed the idea in, in really broad terms of how do you replace the national reach of uh, WGN when it was a superstation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, you know, Marquee is, is an incredible network. We have a great partnership with them. They do really good work, um, but their reach, you know, as mandated by MLB is going to be a little bit um you know, less so than, than what WGN was. And certainly by no means is this the same environment um, that, you know, WGN had when they were, you know, just a, a fraction of the content, uh, you know, no Netflixes, no Hulus, uh, mm-hmm. you know, streaming back when, when a lot of Cubs fans became Cubs fans because <laughs> WGN was on. But I think in a general sense, um, you know, that approach helps guide our goal a lot. So, you know, we, um, we have our social channels um, that sort of in some ways are, are giving us that national reach because anyone can do it. Um, we have that great regional opportunity with our RS10. Um, but I think that like uh, targeting uh, exposure outside of our local group um, is, is something that, uh, you know, is an, is an important focus for us. In, in, in general, from a perspective, do you and your, and your colleagues in management look at content as a brand awareness tool, a fan engagement tool, uh, is it increasingly becoming a revenue product? Give us the kind of lay of the land from the, that perspective. Yeah, I guess it, I think there's probably multiple answers to that. I think that when we are targeting our, you know, our current fans, I mean, we have, we're, we're really fortunate to have such great and amazing and dedicated fans and a really strong season ticket holder base. That's obviously not going to be as much brand awareness. That's going to be more, you know, brand affinity or mm-hmm. possibly re- revenue generating, depending on, you know, what the, what the goal is there. But, you know, to my previous point, if we're trying to create something that has an impact, you know, again, to back to the thesis of this, like if we're going to be trying to be like a, a, a media entity more so than, or an entertainment entity is probably a better way of putting mm-hmm. it um, rather than just a baseball team, that's going to be more brand awareness. So we work, we we're kind of working on a couple of different projects now that, you know, yes, they're rooted in Cubs or rooted in baseball because, you know, we're the Cubs. Um, but the story is meant to be so much more purposeful than just, Hey, here's some highlights. Here's what's going on. And, and a, a good example is like a, maybe a, a first foray into that or a strong foray into that was our 50th anniversary of the 1969 team. 
uh, one of our producers put together this, you know, phenomenal, um, I think it was a five part series that was baked into a, an inter- interactive uh, uh, website that, you know, the term was scrolly telling you, you kind of scrolled on your or swiped mm-hmm. on your device and you, you know, could kind of interact with this um, uh, fresco and, and click in different areas to learn more. And then there was these, you know, 10, 12 minute episodes. But what really I think our goal there was not just to say, okay, the 1969 team was a great baseball team. And then they kind of fell apart at the end. It was, there was a lot going on in 1969 outside of the Cubs. And let's put all this stuff in context with the idea that, okay, this is going to resonate with, you know, the, the diehards of, uh, of our fans, both old and young, but, potentially there's an opportunity to reach an audience who maybe is interested in history mm-hmm. or is maybe not a Cubs fan, but is more just generally a baseball fan. I think that I often think that one of the best compliments I think we can get is when our people leave comments on our YouTube channels. And yes, I do read the comments mm-hmm. um, are, wow, I'm not even a Cubs fan, but this was great. Like to me that, that, you know, yeah. that's one of our purposes is to reach people beyond the people that we know are going to already engage. And we obviously want to provide them high quality content, but ideally we're reaching new people that would not have seen it otherwise. You know, it's interesting, just sidebar. I mean, we do have a healthy amount of people that listen that are not actual sports fans, but the Cubs, and I, I think when you mentioned um, viewing yourself as a media company and you changed and said, no, actually more an entertainment company. I, I think that's really relevant here and expen- extends beyond sports, right? If you look at those not familiar or haven't been to Chicago in a few years um, prior to the pandemic, what what has transpired physically around Wrigley Field with the renovations, it's become a true engagement experience like for multiple blocks now it is um the the cubs have done a fantastic job of just kind of extending that that border and so you know the on-site and and obviously wrigley field is one of the biggest tourist attractions that chicago has It it transcends you know even the 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 average baseball fan the below average fan so there's this there's this iconic nature of the cubs brand that i think makes it um even different than talking about a normal quote unquote normal sports brand um, you know, and, and to that end, I think it, it's really interesting for me how you segment your audiences. You talked about before you, the, the long wake of the WGN, right? The Superstation back in the day where you had fans across the country, uh, both because of television and radio and the reach of media, um, that you have, you know, a unique fan base that's truly national. Uh, surely there's a geographic component to it as well. But I'm curious at how you segment audiences through the filter of content creation. Yeah. And I'll try to answer this from, you know, the content creation perspective, more of what informs, you know, how and what we create less so of how exactly we're trying to target them, maybe a little bit more on the marketing side. Um, and, and I think that segmentation is often based on the platform and the groups that frequent those platforms. So I, you know, Facebook is going to be more of our longstanding fans that we're trying to, you know, super serve with content that uh, keeps them engaged. Um, but we're not necessarily trying to build new audiences there because mm-hmm. we don't think that's where the new audiences are going to be. Whereas, you know, TikTok and Snap, for example, are going to be a younger graph uh, demographic. They're going to be, um, you know, areas where there may not be as, as many, you know, Cubs or MLB fans um, and, you know, certainly require completely different content production um, than we would be doing for Facebook or YouTube or, or Twitter. I remember my first time on TikTok scrolling being like, wow, high-end production would look really awkward here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for me who can be a little bit probably too into gear and, and you know, specs and things like that to mm-hmm. make sure that everything is, is the highest caliber, like, you know, that's a, that's a personal, uh, you know, thing I challenge myself with is making sure that it's, you know, right content for the right platform. So, you know, we don't want to be going in and trying to be, you know, creating 
you know, Hollywood movies to be putting on TikTok because that's not necessarily appropriate. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that that would be, you know, I mentioned this before, but YouTube the last couple of years um, has been really a focus of ours and, and our, our bread and butter to some extent from, you know, the, our, our like the Cubs production side. Um, and not only for a young, younger de- for demographic, because that's obviously who's on that site, but it's really this, it's the ability to put us on the, you know, the world's number two search engine to get our content discoverable outside of our, our owned and operated. Um, and I think that, I hope I don't get this number wrong, but I want to say over 70% of our views on a lot of our videos come outside of our subscribers. So I think that that Mm -hmm. by that metric, it really shows that there's been some success to that approach. Well, let's, let's stay there for a second because I think this is a really important point, particularly for non-sports brands, right? We talked about the nature of the Cubs being a little bit atypical of a sports team, not as geographic based, right? You have fans all over the world, um, you probably have one of the higher concentrations of fans outside of the market of that are that are of your fans, but you you have this eight to ten million folks that have opted in and saying, "Hey, I want to follow you on your platforms." How do you guys look at fan growth as opposed to fan engagement? You know, um, I, I'd I'd love to maybe said another way, what percentage of your efforts are actually geared at engaging the fans you have deeper as opposed to trying to get new fans? What's that balance? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I don't know that I could answer it succinctly by saying, you know, we've put a goal of, mm-hmm. you know, X, X of our time on this and X of our time on that. I think we've made really clear, um, you know, goals of, 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 you know, again, I think the term we've been using is super serving existing fans, but engaging the next generation of fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, I think my take on it is because we've, you know, I'd like to think because we've gotten pretty good at providing that content to our current fans, um, that becomes a little bit, a little bit more routine for us. And, and I don't mean to undersell it because, you know, we're, we're putting in a lot of effort to it and a lot of resources into it to, per, to produce this great stuff. But I think a lot more uh, thought uh, and engagement on our end goes into how do we engage uh, and build new audiences. So, anecdotally i would say it's probably a 70 30 split of trying to build a new audiences because it, it i think it requires a lot more mm-hmm. um thought and collaboration and you know ingenuity to be able to engage those audiences because that's a new you know there's emerging technology there's emerging platforms it's it's not necessarily something we've done via our owned and operators in the past um whereas again providing great content to our current fans is a little bit more, you know, right in front of us. And it's something that I think is, you know, again, while, while we do put a lot of resources towards it because our, our fans are so important to us, it's probably not as, you know, uh, is present in a day-to-day manner. Well, I think you did a really good job and we're going to get and segue now into kind of social media platforms and what's working for the Cubs and for you. But I'm curious at a top level, um, you know, late 2020, what are some of the success metrics you look at in terms of content? Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I'm going to kind of keep going back to the well with uh, with YouTube and, and, you know, what I would say has been successful on that platform is bringing that demographic, um, uh, age demographic down. And uh, <clears throat> I think one of my favorite, um, you know, lines to quote is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, it was 10 years ago, there was a study to say that the average MLB fan was a 45-year-old white male. Mm-hmm. And then the 10 years later, that study was done again, and the average MLB fan was a 55-year-old white male. So it's the same guy. <laughs> he just got older. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that's been a really big focus is just, you know, that next generation of fans. And, you know, everyone talks about how, you know, pace of play with MLB. I happen to be, you know, a longtime big baseball fan. So 
I have no problem with the length of games. Mm-hmm. I, you know, prefer not to even have the DH. You know, I'm, I'm definitely into that. Um, but that's not necessarily how, how people act. And, you know, there's certainly a lot of trends where, you know, less so in baseball uh, for whatever reason, but certainly in, in the NBA where, um, you know, player marketing is so huge. And I was talking to a, a buddy of mine who uh, is with the, the Los Angeles Lakers. And, you know, he was telling me that I want to say it was like, five of the guys on on their roster have their own media companies and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. for them to get he was saying that they're third in line basically because it's it's the player in their own media company it's the local rsn or national people that are in and then it's the in-house team that that gets it and i'm thinking to myself like wow that's that's incredible i couldn't imagine doing what we do if we were third in line i mean certainly we have our own challenges and and you know with that opportunities but you know it's we don't have you know, outside of Trevor Bauer, there's not a ton of guys in MLB who are, who are trying to, you know, do it to the extent that he is. Whereas what we try to do is we certainly try to partner with these athletes and say, hey, we have production capabilities. We'd love to work with you um, in, in a really like mutually beneficial way to increase your followers, um, to, you know, get us content that we want. We have a larger reach than a lot of the athletes do. So there's a, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that that's something that we spend a lot of time focusing on. I think I've veered away from your question. No, initially. but you, you hit on a key one. And I want to follow up because I, 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 it was interesting. Probably the most challenging, one of those challenging presentations I've ever given was to like a 50 person member board um, of a, it was a sports um, hall of fame and museum. And, and you looked across the room and, and as you can imagine, if you've got 50 people in a room and the age was the average age was um, let's say a, like an AARP, you know, feeding frenzy. It was an older audience. Right. <laughs> and, and so I'm sitting there and we're talking about this conversation about social media and relevance. And, and, and you just hit on something about how, your NBA buddy who said there's five guys on the team who are, you know, media brands. I did this entire presentation and I looked, I was like, okay, everyone in the room understands and lived through the, the eighties cable boom, right? The, this whole process of like, no one will ever pay you know, in 1983. People are like, who the hell's going to watch weather for 24 hours a day, right? <laughs> like news 24 hours a day. This is crazy. It's like, it's like the same type of cliched arguments. Right. So, but we talked about it and we talked about the fact that like, look, if you think of it doesn't matter. Think of think of every one of these platforms and every one of these individuals whether it's Javi Baez or um, you know Roger Federer or whomever it may be as a media company. And they all have different, you know, cable penetrations, right? This one's got 15 million, this one's got 20 right. million. They're all media companies and you know, I, I keep jumping. I, I talked with the, uh, you know, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins about this. And it's just that notion about that day's coming. It, it's it's almost here where, you know, you're approaching, you're the Cubs and you're approaching Javi Baez and, or Player X and they're their own media company, right? And and some of those guys are, are really sophisticated about that. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting dance between Major League Baseball, the individual teams and the players in terms of, everyone's out trying to grow their own brands and media brands and, and having to work together can all of a sudden seemingly be a much more complicated dance for someone like you and your team. Yeah, I, I can simply say, I agree. It's going to be, we have a couple guys on the team who like Ian Happ's a great one. He's awesome to work with. He, he yep. really gets it. Um, he's somebody who puts himself out there. He's building his brand. I think he understands that like, you know, an Instagram post is the new autograph signing, right? He can yep. make the same amount doing that with a lot less work. But he's also just really willing to to work with us and understands the the benefit of it. Whereas some of the more tenured players, um, 
you know, maybe just aren't that interested or aren't really right. worried about building that or later in their careers. Or again, it wasn't around when they started, so they don't necessarily see the value or don't have the interest in it because it's just not a platform that they're on. Um, and that becomes a challenge. And, you know, we have a, an amazing, you know, sort of clubhouse liaison that we work with and, and he's got some great personal relationships with these guys. And so we, we, we make hay out of it, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that's something that's going to come on the horizon that there will be, you know, both an opportunity and, and challenge. Yeah. I mean, I think the opportunity there is mutual benefit, right? You mentioned Ian Happ. Mm-hmm. He's, he's created a, a celebrated podcast. He's gone out with, uh, you know, Blue Wire who we've had on and, but you know, that notion of like, Hey, I can be doing my own thing, but by playing with the Cubs, it's like it's going to help increase brand and vice versa. Like there's that re- symbiotic relationship where the rising tide raises all ships that I think exactly. if people look at that, they can they can win. So we, we went off there for a little bit, but I am curious about your current point of view. I, I, you, you already went down this road. I want to follow up. You, t- you mentioned TikTok and kind of sh- how you're showing up there for the younger fan. Uh, you said YouTube, you're putting more um, bulk into kind of longer form storytelling and more of your, you know, uh, deeper, richer story, non-highlighty stories. Mm-hmm. What platforms um, would you view are either working best for you, or where you see the most opportunity for you, and why? Yeah, and I think again, try to answer this from more of like the content creation standpoint, not to speak too much on the. You know, mm-hmm. we have that content team that uh, is is more dedicated maybe to the the platforms. Um, but again, you know, YouTube I think is is one that has been working for us. It's not obviously a new platform, but mm-hmm. for us, MLB had sort of run that account um for i want to say up until the last you know year or two and and then we were able to take it over and that's when we sort of had this big relaunch and and put a lot of our new series Mm -hmm. up there and made that a big focus um so i think we're seeing a lot of progress there um you know in in terms of what our goals are but yeah i think tiktok's another one and and snapchat because again these are all just means to to serve the end of of that goal of getting a younger and newer fan base. And so we're seeing really those as probably the most successful or at least the, the areas that we're trying to, to find the most success in. Hmm. Let's talk branded content for a second or sponsored content. I'd be curious to get some takes on some successful sponsored content case studies you've had and, and what's made them work. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of one that stands out for us because it went so well. Um, there was a uh, a partner that we had who was in the uh, muscle recovery uh, mm-hmm. segment, and they had previously been on more of uh, the professional side of things, and they were moving to more of the, the prosumer, if you will, the everyday athlete. And so they were looking a little bit for brand awareness to let people know that they were available, um, for, you know, for everybody now. So we what worked so well for us was we had an idea that we wanted to do and it aligned perfectly with what their goals were as a brand. And so we put together a five part series on what a starting pitcher's routine looked like. So day one is throw day two is rest day three is, you know, legs. And then it's a bullpen session or whatever, whatever these things are. It allowed us to sort of naturally integrate the product. Mm -hmm. Um, But even more importantly than that, it, it, it just naturally integrated the theme of it. And right. it's, you know, I think there's a, there's a brand out there that I have a lot of respect for uh, in REI because mm-hmm. they're out, you know, they sell outdoor and outdoor related products, but they don't hit you over the head with it, with their right. content or it, it's, they're selling a lifestyle. They're selling, you know, the theme, the concept of something. And yeah. Okay. By the way, if I want to go, um, you know, rock climbing or, or, you know, camping, I'm going to need boots or a tent or whatever. And oh, by the way, I can get that REI. Yep. Um, you know, I think that's something that's a little inspirational for me because this is exactly what we wanted to do. It's like, I don't want to you know put a product and say, Hey, here's this great product. It's here's a story that inherently covers what recovery is. And it's 
with athletes that are playing the highest, uh, you know, form of, of a game mm-hmm. that you could aspire to be. And so it, you know, again, a little inspirational maybe for people watching it, but really the theme is there and it's, it's so organic. It just, I don't know. It just makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just, I mean, it's such a nuanced thing that in 2020, I am still surprised at how poorly people are. Right. Cause there's this like, Oh, the, the, the knee jerk reaction is to be over and even though all the data shows you, even though the brands know they're not supposed to, it's like they can't help themselves sometimes. They're like, hey, can we be a little bit more, uh, can, we put the, can we put the product in right, right? Like in those that, I think you just described it. Like, I, I mean, I played baseball growing up and as I think about it, it's like, it is one of those right in front of your face topics that no one really talks about, right? Pitcher pitches every five days. What the hell is he doing the other four days? Like, what's that <laughs> life like, right? And and to wake up and, and to be watching, you know, whatever, John Lester piece on what he's doing on his off days and kind of, oh, shoot, like I'm actually being, this is being brought by a sponsor to whom thank you for bringing this really cool content and not like offending me as a viewer, right? You gave me value. Like that nuance is so hard to pull off, I think, for so many people because of, you know, the people that are at stake around kind of creating that content. You guys want to please the sponsor. The sponsor wants to make sure that, that these are human beings. They want to show their bosses like, hey, look at this. Look what we did, right? Look look at our brand. And and to find that delicate balance where ultimately the consumer, to your point, is like, hey, that's really cool. Thanks for bringing that to me. It's like that halo effect, as we call it. So it's a really important point. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, you, you obviously – you can't really tell your partners this, but it's like, you know what, if, if we create something where you're hitting people over the head with, you know, brand integration or, or yeah. probably like more importantly, like if, if the topic of it is not interesting, no one's going to watch it. And then mm-hmm. nobody wins. We poison our channels and it's content that people are going to skip over because it's just not interesting. So it's like, allow us to make interesting content. I mean, we have a, a pretty you know strict rule within our, our video board, uh, you know, ballpark entertainment that, everything we do has to have some tie back to, you know, baseball or the Cubs. There has to be a reason mm-hmm. that 40,000 people want to engage with it because, you know, we, we don't do fan cams, you know, regularly, right. but like, it's just, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but there's just been a lot of people who are like, Hey, can you do this? And it's like, well, that only really fits with your brand. And if I'm a, if I'm a fan coming to the ballpark, I don't necessarily care, care about brand X, Y, Z. If you just put a commercial or something like that up there, I want to see an engaging, you know, yeah. out of, out of town highlights driven by Toyota, right? We can mm-hmm. integrate them into the intro and outro graphics. There can be various elements of their brand in there. It makes sense. It's a it's a pun. I love puns. Like, there's just there's so many things you can do with it. They're going to potentially like tie them in, and that's probably even one of the weaker integrations uh, as far as like you know. You guys tying... do such a good job in game. I mean, I appreciate it's, that. It's so well done. To your point, it's like every and those boards are mesmerizing, right? And and let's forget about the you know you said you're a purist. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I love the boards. Like, it adds to the experience, right? There, I know there was a lot of like, oh, we're, we're ruining the Wrigley Mystique. And you know <laughs> what? You're, when you're sitting there for three and a half hours and you do the six degrees of, like, it's between innings and you're like, oh, you know, how is this player connected, you know, how is John so, Lester connected to this player from the seventies? So right? It's so funny you reference that one because that was an idea that I had, um, so I, so I got hired, uh, my, my first job with the Cubs was to, uh, sort of launch and program the video board. So that's why mm-hmm. I got the job. And so it's kind of a little bit, a little bit of irony that, you know, I probably in another world would have been against the video boards, um, <laughs> until I had realized the value that they provide. And I obviously love them myself, but that particular, um, uh, feature that you're referencing is one that I had and took us a couple years to, 
find the right partner for it. And there's probably been four different uh, reimaginings of reimagining mm-hmm. of it anywhere from, you know, a, a cheese brand where we had melted cheese to a wine brand where it was, you know, vines that connected them. Um, so it just, it, it just resonates with me. Our designer, I think is sick of, of me asking her to, to reimagine that with a different <laughs> partner in it. Um, but I, I'm that it, it uh, it's very rewarding for you to reference that one. Oh, it's, it's very well done. And for those that, uh, at home who may not be totally clear, it's, it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? It takes like a current Cubs exactly. player, and like, I don't know, an iconic, like here's Hank Aaron. And how can you connect those from guys that played on the same team through the years in like six people or less? So it's really fun, right? And But yeah. know, to your point, it's like you're sitting there and being like, I am so sucked into this 45-second visual on the board. <laughs> you know, um, I wish I could remember the brands. But I, I think the, the point is, you know, it's – that nuance of sponsored content and adding value, right? Like, like we just you know, exactly. we both got excited about. So changing topics here, how's the pandemic changed your approach to content creation? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's really challenging. And I think that, you know, MLB being the first major sport to be back in a significant way was great, but also had a lot of challenges and that we were sort of learning on the fly. Um, you know, we had a, a tiered system when it came to access. And so we were really limited to one videographer or one production person, frankly, who could film with players. And even in that, it was, you know, not towards the end of the year that we felt comfortable doing anything indoors. Everything was on the field. And then you had limitations of how are we going to do some of our higher end stuff? Um, you know, initially, you know, I give a ton of credit to our, our social media and, and broader content team. Like they, they hopped on all the trends and we had really successful like at home workouts with our, mm-hmm. uh, our team trainer and just a lot of like, you know, our, one of our graphic designers put together this really awesome, um, you know, bedtime stories uh book we worked with our agency to write that and, and just put out really well and a lot of that stuff that like you know as a parent that was awesome my daughter loves seeing you know the players you know reimagined in books like that that was really great stuff i mm-hmm. think from you know to answer the question a little bit how do we how do we try to like you know get back to some sort of normal um i think that what was working for us really well and we were fortunate is that the season got shut down after our, you know, week or two in spring training. Mm. I don't think it's, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we get maybe more than half of our, uh, you know, YouTube shows and, and bigger content mm-hmm. pieces from spring training. Mm-hmm. So we were able to program and, and populate a lot of our content sort of on schedule as, as normal or however we wanted to adjust to, to the normal. Um, so we were, you know, equally as busy during the first, um, you mm-hmm. know, couple months being able to put together some of these, uh, you know, longer shows. So that really worked out for us. But then over time, I think that, you know, not only on our channels, but I think it's probably fair to say throughout just all of entertainment, there's just an oversaturation of like uh, zoom type mm-hmm. content where things will be recorded from web shows and, you know, the novelty is nice and people were happy to see it. But after a while, I think everyone was like, well, what happened to my high end content? And mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm just telling, maybe I'm just telling myself this to, to feel better, but I really think that people started to notice that, okay, this is really different. The, you know, it's harder to, to storytell and, and to have some of those really important and moments in there. So I think at that point we just, try to be as opportunistic as possible. And for us, um, you know, yes, there were still some of those you know, remote productions, but we kind of doubled down on our mic'd up series because that's a, a pretty popular one. It's not the heaviest lift. Um, you know, we, we capture some stuff on our own as we normally did, but then, you know, because of our great partnership with Marquee, um, they had, uh, they were able to mic guys up during the game. They had their own uh, live production elements of it. 
but then they basically gave us everything that was on the cutting room floor. And then we would put together, you know, five minute segments that went on YouTube. And so it was just like an awesome example of, of how we worked together with them. They got what they needed out of it. We were able to, you know, kind of, you know, pride on their coattails when it came to, you know, we had a camera that would shoot it. One of our, you know, cinematic cameras that would shoot it. So we'd be able to cut back and forth. It, it just kind of really worked out well. And I think that was sort of the approach that works for us is, just, you know, doubling down on the areas that we did have access to, as mm-hmm. I mentioned later in the year, we were able to, um, you know, get a little bit more back to normal in that, you know, it's, it's like the, the cruelest thing ever. We, you know, athletes in general, and certainly from my experience with, with, uh, baseball players, um, you know, whatever is convenient for them is going to work the best. Yeah. And so one of our biggest challenges was, you know, timing and schedules and physical locations of interviews. And this is before the pandemic we had finally gotten internal buy-in to convert one of our um, uh, mm-hmm. bunker suites in the, in the 1914 club, which is this really awesome mm-hmm. club, but it's also right by the Cubs clubhouse and batting cages. We were able to convert one of those into a, a mini, mini studio for us. And so we had it, you know, sound treated. We had it. I mean, just, it was, it was everything we needed short of probably a lighting grid. Cause it just wouldn't fit, but you know, and we were like on the cusp of being ready for it and the pandemic hit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh man, I thought this was going to be a game changer for us, but, towards the end of the year, we were finally able, once everyone felt a little bit more comfortable and through, mm-hmm. you know, the tiering system and, and testing, we were finally able to get guys to come. So it was just this turnkey studio that, you know, we, because we only had one person there, we really, you know, relied on more of, you know, a solid background or, uh, you know, green screen just to kind of keep it manageable. But that I think in a lot of ways is a game changer for us because it allows, you know, we, you know, allows us to not waste three hours setting something up in a space, a player isn't able to show yeah. up and then breaking it down. Oh, it's the um, worst. Those are the worst. Yeah. yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's the story of our lives. And I, I'm trying not to be too critical because I know no. these guys are baseball players and, and that's their main focus, but it is really, you know, a, one of our series has a pretty elaborate setup um, mm-hmm. with it. And it's not, you know, an exaggeration to say it takes, you know, two hours to get ready. And then you have a guy who shows up or doesn't show mm-hmm. up. He shows up late and you just can't do it. And it's just really demoralizing. So we were, we were hoping to, to put an end to that or at least severely mm-hmm. um, curtail it. But, you know, going into next year, we have no idea what next year is going to look like. I certainly think that that's an area where we feel much more comfortable being able to lean into and have some semblance of, um, you know, normalcy in that production. And, and actually, that's kind of a, an active project I'm working on to sort of planning for, you know, not only this offseason, but much more from spring training mm-hmm. and beyond. What are we able to do? What series do we want to continue to work on? What series are we able to work on what are sort of on our you know nice to have list pending what our access right. looks like and, and things like that well, well i wanted to go one level higher that before we kind of round round third base here and, and that's what trends and content are you watching now that you believe are going to be potential game changers you used that word a minute ago for the chicago cubs from a business perspective whether that's fan engagement and how it connects to content or creating value for sponsors what are things that you're seeing now that to your point you're yeah. looking at for 21 and 22 yeah, I don't necessarily think there's one thing I would look at as a game changer, but the couple of the things that I, I would say that we're actively monitoring, as are I'm sure a lot of people, is you know the the, the gambling space is mm-hmm. you know developing and what does that content look like? I don't know that we've necessarily made any determinations in the ballpark, but you know obviously that there's a lot of opportunities for that from like a you know an LED signage standpoint of you know do, do you put the 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 prop bets and, and mm-hmm. things like that win probability or whatever it is, whether you're over it about it or, or not, um, you know, that's an opportunity. There's, you know, content around that, um, that can be produced. Another thing that we've had one of our really talented motion graphic designers, uh, who's been kind of 
building the in-house capability for augmented reality. I know he's done some cool stuff on Snapchat. I think that's another area that, um, you know, we want to be able to have those capabilities in-house that we can use a lot more uh, on that platform. I think those are two that kind of stand out to me because we've recently, you know, kind of been working on them. But, um, but yeah, and I think then when we talked about, um, you know, uh, this sort of uh, player marketing, I think that's one that, um, you know, again, Trevor Bauer is just, this is like the mm-hmm. perfect example of building his own company. It's like, there's that balance there of like, I kind of wonder if, if he was ever, you know, if I was working for the same team, is that someone you collaborate with or is that then right. become, you know, right. contentious because he's trying to build his own. I, I'd like to think that obviously there's a, a way to be mutually beneficial, but I, I think that's going to be a really huge well, uh, trend to follow. Last question. Uh, this is going off script a little bit here um, before we get a couple personal things from you. And, and it's that it's player marketing. Um, you know, I'm biased slipping my own thing in here, you know, as an owner of a company, La Vida Baseball, which is a, you know, a, a Latino baseball lifestyle and media company. We're very bullish, obviously, on on baseball. Um, and nearly one out of three major league players is Latino. I'm curious from your perspective, especially with guys, I mean, you have, you know, Javi Baez, so you get to see it every day, right? You have Wilson Contreras, you have other players who are Latino, but to see the, um, uh, the Puerto Rican connection between a guy like a Javi Baez and, and that ethnic magnetic attraction, which is just another layer, right? Beyond Cubs, right? You know, you've got, you've got team and you've got country. I'm curious to your perspective of, of what you see in terms of that, in terms of the, the player marketing and, and how important the, the Latino player is in uh, both Cubs and major league baseball right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's critical. It's absolutely critical to the growth of, of the sport. Um, I don't think there's any other way to look at it. And, and he's just, you know, a phenomenally talented and, and beyond that interesting character. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> the number one, uh, you know, we, I look at our, our YouTube channel sometimes and look at our, our, you know, top performing content. And like, I think our number two piece with a couple million views is this long form doc we did on, on Kerry Wood and his 20 strikeout game, which is mm-hmm. just like a, you know, one mm-hmm. of the most popular games, uh, especially for this right. generation of fans who might be on YouTube. Um, so that, that kind of makes sense to me, especially YouTube tends to, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. promote some of that longer form stuff. But the number one is Javi Baez uh, slides. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. you've got this you've got this project that took months of our time and, and is really high end and, and well produced um, up against uh, a highlight video, a compilation of it, mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously speaks to the platform. But more right. so is just, you know, it speaks to what are people searching for? What are people interested in? It's like, yep. you know, you know, when I was, you know, 10 years ago, and I was living in Boston and was, you know, trying to keep up with the because I was working for the Red Sox. It was hard for me to follow the Cubs. Um, I would search, you know, Devin Hester touchdown returns all the time, right? Like I must have watched that hundreds of times. So I imagine there's people out there who are searching that with Javi Baez. I think this is really just my opinion here and, and probably not a controversial one, but I think the biggest challenge that we have within baseball is just, you know, other than, you know, a little bit of, of um, maybe the, the age of players and understanding the value of, of social media and, and different platforms, there's 162 games. These, these poor guys get yeah. no time off. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I understand why when we ask for their time outside of games, it's, Hey, I want to spend time with my family right. or I'm going to do a shoot with GQ. Who's going to pay me handsomely or, right. or whatever. I mean, these other priorities that are important to me, which is why we try so hard to get things at spring training or Cubs convention or mm-hmm. day of games when these, you know, in between, you know, they might have 20 minutes when they get there early or after batting practice or something like that. I think that's the biggest challenge is, is I would like to think that, if these guys had one day off a week or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, we'd have a, an easier time, you know, getting a little bit of their commitment. But right now, as it stands, it's just, it's become so challenging because of, you know, of course we target, um, you know, you Darvish for his influence uh, in 
in right. Asia and like right. and for Javi Baez and like the, you know these things are you know, you know pretty obvious but there's obviously that challenge of of getting the, the player commitment into it and um yeah I I, I I I agree with you I think that uh it's so important for us to be able to to work with the players to be able to market them well really interesting um stuff Matt I'm going to flip it here personal before we let you go and I, we have a segment called morning Moss, so we want you to fess up on your secret sauce of sources for what you read, watch, stay on top of, and, and how you stay on top of industry news. Yeah. Um, I think my morning must right now are turning on Disney plus for my four year old <laughs> so I can get another half hour of sleep, which is not great parenting, but boy, we have a, a four year old and you and 60 million other people. Old. What a brilliant I know, right? model. Yeah. The best uh, planned streaming service in the history, right? Oh, Disney man. Plus. I was an early adopter. Let me tell you. Um, you know, I, I subscribe to a few email newsletters, but I have to be honest, I'm pretty guilty of letting them pile up because especially now that Outlook does a great job of having a focused inbox and a non-focused, I just get too caught up in like the day-to-day of emails and trying to respond to them, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, probably says more about me. Um, I probably get more industry news just from like building lists and Twitter and following um, you know, not only sports teams to see who's doing well, but, you know, as I referenced, like entertainment companies just to see what kind of mm-hmm. stuff that they're working on um, that can, we can we can follow. So I'd probably say, you know, some form of Twitter. But, you know, it's a double edged sword because, man, I, I can fall into the rabbit hole of oh. not only Twitter, but TikTok <laughs> is just incredibly addicting that I just, you know, it starts off as research to see what's, you know, what's going on trend wise. And then you, you, before you know it, you're just like, OK, I wasted an hour scrolling. <laughs> up. So I try to curtail that stuff. So maybe I should move back to the email. Newsletters. <laughs> All right. Final one for you, Matt. Uh, bedside book stand. You got a little one, so I'm not even sure you've had a chance to read. But what's the last book that you read for fun? Yeah, I, I think as someone who's had a really difficult time balancing kids during the pandemic, I've, I've fallen into some pretty bad habits, mostly on the like health and wellness side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just finished reading up a book called Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear um, with sort of the hope that it gives me inspiration uh, and maybe a path to reset some of those bad, bad habits. Um, it's it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting book nice. and, and it's got a little bit of a how-to and you know hopefully it uh, sets me back on course. Well, awesome. Well, Matt Romito, executive producer of Cubs Productions, can't thank you enough for your time today and sharing your insights and thoughts. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.